I interest you in a stamp? Yeah, give me a stamp. Oh. No, give me a purple one. Oh, I'm sorry we haven't any purple ones. I could uh, paint one for you. I don't want a painted one. person hasn't got any rights in this country anymore. The government even tells you what color stamps you got to buy. Live from the Stamp Show Here Today infotainment complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless Tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS-affiliated club. Listen to the end credits for information on joining. This is Lord Cash. This is Sheriff Mark. This is Sir Jim. Oh, now you're looking at me. Lady. Stamp Princess Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Lady Dawn was the thing. Uh, <laughs> this is Surf Scott. <laughs> oh, you're the surf, huh? <laughs> and so I got uh, two letters. Uh, one is from John S. in uh, Port Jefferson Station, New York. Please sign me up for a lifetime membership along with another lucky stamp collector of your choosing. Yeah, he paid $20 instead of $10 because he's a very nice guy. So the next person who sends me an email at casuagradingmatters.com uh, uh, and says, uh, hey, I'll take that extra membership. Remember, when you become a I member... Get a, you, I got a better idea. Oh, what is it? Make it a next person under the age of 15 that sends you a request for a membership. How am I supposed to tell how old they are from an email? Just like they can see you in the, through the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> okay, if you're if you're under the age of eighteen, you will tr- or eight, under the age of fifteen, you will trump somebody else. But uh, send me an email, and there is a free membership out there for you. Larry H. and I'm going to tell him Larry Hall. Larry Hall is a great guy. He's in uh, Missouri. Fantastic fellow. Uh, he he wrote and said, "I'm already a member of the podcast." This is $10 for his late grandmother who got him into stamp collecting. So oh. he also sent an extra $10 for somebody else. Uh, so the next two people who send me an email saying, I'll take one of the free uh, memberships. And remember, if you join the Stamp Show Here Today community, not only do you get to listen with an air of authenticity but you get the chance to call yourself a lord or a lady or a sheriff or a surfer anything you want <laughs> we, 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 we do not discriminate so Scott just got back from the St. Louis oh, well actually quite a few people here sitting around the table have just gotten back from the St. Louis stamp show I, I did not I go. didn't know I didn't know two was quite a few. <laughs> well, it's, hey, it's, it's half the people. We're 40% of the people here. Yeah, four. That's true. That, that's almost half. So I'm going to open it up to you because you got an interesting item at the St. Louis uh, show. I keep wanting to say St. Louis World's Fair. 
It's but a it, stamp expo. But unless you guys have a time machine, you're not going to be <laughs> able to go do the St. Louis. So, stamp, uh, St. Louis Stamp Show, how was it? It was okay. It's kind of following what I've been seeing lately at shows that I've gone to, in that the foot traffic at the show was much lower than um, a few years ago. But the dealers seemed to be happy because people were spending money. So uh, on the one hand, monetarily for the dealers, it's, it's good. But at the same time, uh, the number of collectors coming in the door is lower. And that's a little concerning. Well, I'm not concerned. I, I see stamp shows as augmenting the hobby, not making the hobby. Well, I, I understand, but um, a lot of new collectors were created during the pandemic, and they primarily do business online. And what we need to do is we need to translate that into people coming to the show and checking it out and starting to be a little more social. Yeah, and but you can be social in lots of ways. Yeah, I understand you that. You don't have to fly to St. Louis to do it. But I'll tell you what, it was it was a really nice social scene there. Oh, I totally agree. Uh, we have uh, Garfield Perry coming up. And like I said, you know, Garfield Perry is a great stamp show. And it is the who's who. And it is a way for you to really see everybody who you've ever heard about. They will all be there. It's a fantastic stamp show. Saint, but sorry, that's my advertisement. I agreed I would push the Garfield Perry show. So, <laughs> but it's already gone this year. Uh, I, I believe next year it's the week after the St. Louis show. At least you're right. Everybody who's going to be hearing this podcast is going to be too late because it's going to go up later. <laughs> but next year... We, we lie in the beginning. We do not record this live. Next year, uh, the Garfield Perry should be the week after the St. Louis Stamp Expo. Yep. So if it's put it on your calendar... So how many dealers were at St. Louis? I would say roughly 40. 40 to 60, something like that? No, I don't think uh, it was six. I don't four. think it was 60. I think it was 30 to 40. Oh, okay. Well, that's a fair representation. It is. Um, well, we all know that A&D Stamps is, is uh, going out of business with Westpex being their last show. And uh, they were not there, but all the other big wall of stamps dealers were there. Um Stamp Art, DNP, A to Z, and um, Kyle Nabo. They were all there at the St. Louis Stamp Expo. And so it was, it was interesting to see if there were enough collectors to keep them all in business. And I noticed that um, there were some open chairs. And, and these, these are the kind of dealers that, that cater to uh, collectors that need anything from the cheap minimum price stamps all the way up to, you know, many thousands of dollars catalog. So um, it's we need to keep them in business because they carry around a lot of stock and they do a big service to the hobby by showing up because most dealers who travel can't afford to carry that much stuff. Well, and just so people are aware of what we're talking about, 
uh, floor to ceiling means that they have just like a whole, like a 12 foot by 12 foot section of the back wall taken up with shelves filled with red boxes filled with stamps. And red red boxes typically contain between uh, 2,500 and 3,500 stamp cards each. Right, so it's a huge, huge inventory. And some of these walls have 150, 180, 200 or more red boxes, not to mention all the notebooks and things that they have for larger-sized items. And so basically what it is is uh, they'll have two six-foot tables. They'll have 12 feet. They'll have about 10 chairs in front. And each person will spend... $25, $50, you know, small amounts, but just a huge amount of people buying a huge amount of stamps because they're buying the smaller stuff to fill their boxes. That's who we're dealing with with floor-to-ceiling sellers. Now, they do sell more expensive stuff, but their bread and butter is, I'd say, stuff that sells for $2 to $5. I would, yeah. Um, The other nice thing is, they're usually willing to break a set. If you like, if you bought a collection and you're missing two stamps out of a set of twelve, they're usually willing to break the set and just sell you the two stamps you need, not the whole set. So that's another nice thing about these dealers. So what'd you buy in St. Louis? Oh, I bought a nice lot. I bought a lot of uh, number U.S. number sixty-three, and I got some nice shades. And I bought uh, an imperf pair on cover, and it's cut so that it would grade a hundred jumbo. And and uh, contemporary it, usage. And it, it is a later usage. It's um, I think it's probably watermarked, which means it would be um, so. It's about ten years after issue, but it's well, a nineteen twenty three cover. It's from an engineering company to the Covell Manufacturing Company. Now, Covell Manufacturing Company was located in Benton Harbor, Michigan, and they built a lot of the stamp vending machines. And so uh, you see a lot of coils and imperfs and things like that used by them coming out of Benton Harbor, and they're all later used. They're basically using discount postage. But this one is actually going to them, And it was cut really nice. So it was probably something from uh, maybe a sales rep or something that they had going back to the manufacturing company. But it's interesting because, uh, like I said, it's going to and not coming from uh, the Covell Manufacturing Company. So it's really neat looking cover and uh, nice and clean. So I thought that that was a really good buy. Tell them about your Arbor Day letter. Oh, okay. I got I got a letter. It's on uh, letterhead for the Postmaster General in Washington D.C. It's dated April fifteenth, nineteen thirty-two, and it concerns the Arbor Day stamp. And it says, "Dear Sir," and it's sent sent to an the American uh, a gentleman at the American Seed Trade Association in Cleveland. Dear Sir. To encourage tree planting and particularly to direct the attention of the youth of our country to the responsibility for this service resting on each generation, the Post Office Department is issuing on April 22nd next a special postage stamp. 
a specimen of which is affixed here too. Now realize the letter is dated April 15th, but the stamp's not being issued until April 22nd. So is that... And it's not an earliest known use because it, it wasn't used. Right. It's not used. It's not canceled. It's just affixed to the letter. The date chosen is the 100th anniversary of the birth of J. Sterling Morton of Nebraska, who instituted Arbor Day in 1872. You know what else he did? Not the tube sock. Don't say the tube sock. <laughs> <laughs> if you wish to make use of this stamp in your mailings, you are advised that it will be placed on sale at Nebraska City, Nebraska, the former home of Mr. Morton, on the 22nd instant. Thereafter, this stamp can be purchased at all post offices. And then it's signed by the Postmaster General. So this is a earlier-than-issued usage well, it's an earlier than issue. Yeah, it's well, it's not a usage because it doesn't pay for the mailing and it and it isn't canceled, but it's outside the post office's possession prior to the day of issue. So if you soak that stamp off and put it on a cover very quickly and and, and mail warped it. back to 1932. Well, no, if you were in 1932, you get that letter, you soak the stamp off real quick, put it on an envelope you would have a pre-first day cover. That is true. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really cool uh, uh, figuring that the, figuring the dates were uh, such. So I, I thought you know I thought that was a really neat thing he to calls add. It, he calls it a specimen in the letter. But, but it's it, not. It's an it's actual, actual stamp. Well, it is. A, it's, it's a specimen it's of, a specimen of the stamp, yeah. So technically That's what I was getting correct, at is it's the... It's the issue of the stamp, but they just had it earlier, and he put them on these advertising things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just thought it was really neat that they officially let it out of their hands a week before the day of issue. Yep. And if you look on my Twitter stamp show here today on Twitter, uh, there will be a picture of it shortly after this podcast goes up, probably. <laughs> Mark. Yes. Would you get... Well, I, uh, I spent about $7,200 at the show, which is roughly twice what I have in my checking account. So, <laughs> so the dealers who deposit their checks first will be happy, and uh, the other dealers will be less happy. But um, I, was, uh, I was very fortunate to run into uh, Dennis O'Brien, who was a, uh, a dealer there in Missouri, and he had a bunch of, of uh, color varieties um, that uh, in his stock, and I and I bought a bunch of them. Um, he had a 499H, which is the Boston Lake uh, version of the of Scott 499, um, with a uh, with a philatelic foundation certificate. Uh, he had two of the uh, 30 cent Prexies, the the um, blue shades, because it's normally an ultramarine. Uh, and he had uh, he had basically both of the blue shades, the 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 blue and the deep blue. Um, so I got those from him. He had the 905B, which is the uh, the the win the war stamp. Um, there was a uh, version of this stamp that's a very deep purple. Um, this one has the Los Angeles, California pre-cancel. Um, it's no gum, but it's uh, it, it's the it's the genuine article. And this one has a uh, looks like a PSAG certificate. And then he added a, a C23C. Oh, um, which is the um, which the ultramarine and carmen um, of the the six cent airmail the bicolor airmail stamp 
um, which uh, is is not intuitive when you when you look at it. You you have to get a certified copy because um, the the it does come in kind of shade varieties, but this particular shade is outstanding. But it's not intuitively outstanding. So um, so this one has a uh, a certificate from the I guess it's the PSE. I've so, heard of them. Yeah. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I know that didn't cost $7,000, so what no. else did you buy? <laughs> I got a set of Zeppelins. Um, I bought a, about 50 or so individual stamps, and a, um, uh, I bought a uh, uh, an R284 from Richard Friedberg, which is a, a scarce, uh, has the, the, the sort of Aquamarine Series 1940 overprinted uh, on the $100 uh, stamp. And uh, and then interestingly, I bought a couple of firearms transfer stamps from him, um, RY11 and RY12, which are the um, uh, which are the uh, later version of uh, 2014 and 2017 issue uh, stamps. They're on light. On, they're on license, uh, and we had an interesting conversation about these because to get these, uh, especially on license, it it's tough because the the license itself shows the name of the person that sold it and address, the name and address of the person that bought it. It identifies the armament, and then it's ha- supposed to have a picture, a recent picture of the person that bought the, the stamp on, on the license. Uh, now, as you can imagine, gun dealers are pretty fanatical about keeping the identity of their customers secret from uh, anyone who would would be interested, and so the vast majority of these are shredded beyond you know shredded and then burned and then uh, <laughs> you know encased in concrete. Um, so, but these particular uh, licenses, it was a dealer uh, sort of like a dealer to dealer transfer. So there was no picture um, and no and no um, uh, identifying information that's that's not you know publicly available. So I was able to get these two stamps um, on the on the license. But uh, but it's not they're not expensive stamps. They catalog I think on license about I don't know two hundred two hundred fifty dollars a piece. Well, that's expensive. Yeah, but uh, but they're scarce because uh, the gun dealers don't don't like them to to fall in the hands of, of of regular people. What kind of guns did they buy? What are they for? Uh, let's see. This one was a machine gun, a uh, SWD Daniel Incorporated manufacturer. Um, it's a uh, three eighty caliber. And then this one is a Military Armament Corporation machine gun, 9mm. Yeah, they're almost always machine guns. And the ones that I've always seen, because we're in California, most of them come out of the movie studios. Right. So the movie studios will buy a machine gun because they're doing some story about a machine gun, you know, a person carrying it. And they have to buy the uh, stamp with it. The thing with the um, movie studios owes is that they save them for many years. And over that period of time, generally speaking, they kind of lose them. Right. <laughs> they, in, at the end of seven years, they like toss them in the dumpsters and stuff because they don't realize that they have significant value. Of course, if they did throw them onto the market, it would plunge the value. Mm-hmm. But, you know, 
I'd rather have a bunch of them and crash the market than, you know, not have the money, I guess. So, so these stamps, they're, uh, I think they're lithographed, but they are, they're, they're self-adhesive stamps. And the, uh, the RY11 apparently was used only for about a year because the die cutting was, um, uh, was, was uh, uh, less than ideal. And the complaint was is that uh, the stamps would, would tear in the corners. And indeed, this example uh, does have a pulled perf in one corner and then uh, sort of extra paper on, on another corner um, where the die cutting, I guess, didn't go all the way through. And, um, the, uh, and the other one, the RY12, um, this one was uh, uh, on a license from 2017, and it has uh, vastly different looking die cuts mm. uh, that are... Uh, um, uh, and apparently, you know, easier to, to separate from the from the backing paper. Very interesting. So, what else did he have? Uh, I know you buy a lot of revenues and stuff. Are those the only revenues you got? Or he had other revenues on my list, but uh, you know, my collection is to the point where if I want to buy something to fill a space, it's going to cost me thousands of dollars. So, um, so as it was, I could afford just the just that one R two eighty four. I understand. Uh, I didn't go to any show, so uh, I'm going to just address a question that was brought up on Twitter. Um, a person was asking, I'm a, an expert on U.S. number 10s and 11s, 25s and 26s. And he was asking how many U.S. number 11s or 10s were used in California. Not Four. Four male. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Four. Uh, your guess is as good as anybody's, and that's probably pretty damn accurate. Uh, there wasn't a lot of inter-California mail in the 1850s. You know, a lot of most of the letters, California letters you'll see coming are coming from somebody in the East Coast to California or California to the East Coast. But you don't have like very much from San Francisco to Sacramento. And the ones that I have seen are predominantly stampless. It also, two of them paid the six cent intercontinental rate. Right, up until 1855. 55, yeah. And then so in 1855, have... you see no number 10s and 11s because it's the 10 cent stamp. Yeah. And you would have uh, probably, you could have a late use of that. Um, with yeah, but one if, cent, if there was three. no need for them before then, why would they have stocks of them after that? No, I'm so. just saying you probably could see them, uh, you know, with three one cent, maybe the 26, with a 24 to pay the 10 cent rate. Yeah, but, but it's it, again, not a lot. <laughs> again, how many do you have that are internal usages? Oh, inner California usages. And I, I ran the numbers. Um the United States, hold on, I got my computer that I carry around in my pocket. It's called a cell phone. In the 1850s, 2% of the people, early 1850s, 2% of the population of the United States lived in California. I mean, today it's much higher. But if you had 2% of the people, you'd expect 2% of the male. But it's even lower than that, yeah, because uh, 
Scott uh, just shook his head. You, Nobody could see you, it because you, be, you would be amazed that maybe a tenth of one percent or less would even have the financial ability need to uh, to send mail. Well, I mean, yeah, it, most of your mail was going to go across the country or back to a foreign destination. That's if you were inclined to write a letter, because uh, anybody local, you know, instead of spending the money to mail a letter, they would just hop on a horse and, and go see him. Well, that's the thing that um, in on the East Coast, probably, and this is just my eyeball of what I see, probably half of the U, uh, U.S. number... 10s, 11s, 25s, 26s, 26As that I see are commercial in nature. Well, yeah. The other half are personal. So if you look at it from commercial, a lot of the people in this time period in California are here for gold. So there isn't a lot of industry. They're out in the fields. So there isn't a lot of business traffic inside of California because you're not going to write from San Francisco to Sacramento to get, I don't know, shovels. You're going to write from San Francisco to Chicago and say, put a bunch on a ship and bring them over here. I need shovels. Uh, so the business side is not going to be that significant on the personal letters. I would expect them to be writing to their f friends and family who are back East. So, you know, uh, later on, you know, in the 1860s, you see more California mail, obviously in the 1920s, you see a bunch, but in the 1850s, when the U S don't, don't have enough lawyers at that point. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jim, you do a lot of Utah and Nevada. Yes. How much internal mail is there in the 1850s well like i said offhand i i can think of a couple of uh, uses but uses internally uh three cent use from california is really quite rare yeah i i, I mean i don't well, have i mean even even from for it, even from like a nevada border town to to sacramento or something yeah you know, something that would still be three cents because it's not a they, long enough distance, but still, there just exist. isn't any. Yeah, they exist, and I've seen them. I may even have one or two in my collection, but for the most part, they're very, very scarce. They're hard to find. And one of the other reasons is, you know, you had all the local carriers right. because mail service in California was not well-developed. The local carriers basically imprinted postal stationery. Yeah. The, the Nesbitt issues so wells fargo and was the best known but there were a lot of other local carriers but almost all of them the only way a stamp would get used is if it was a double weight letter yeah and uh so that brought up uh, another discussion and i heard a long time ago and I, scott you may have heard this too i do not recall who it came from but it came from somebody who knew what they were talking about and it was the two percent rule and basically what it is is 2% of all mail gets saved. Um, if there's 20 million of a stamp printed, there's 200,000 of them out there. You know, there's 
a hundred thousand collectors, every collector can have one. That's going to be a cheap stamp. Uh, but the two percent rule, when you get into these really minuscule numbers, and let's say you know Sacramento sent a thousand letters to San Francisco, if only two percent of them survived, and then once they get soaked off the envelope, you have no clue where it came from. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Unl- unless it has a sock on the nose cancel. Well, yeah, but then you have a San- Sacramento sock on the nose cancel. You don't know if it went to San Francisco or and you to don't, Chicago. And you don't know or, if it was on with other stamps. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, it. Okay. So you have two two percent survivability of the stamps. Now, how many of those are still on cover? Yeah. Was that another two percent of the two percent? Could be. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more. Of those stamps in albums than there are on covers. Oh, by a lot. So. Yeah, there was a person, uh, it, it, you you brought it up about the uh, cutting the stamps to be a 100J. And uh, there was a person talking about cutting up those stamps because, you know, you mess up the stamps around them, you remove their borders. And uh, so people were saying, you know, if you cut these up, you know, you're destroying the provenance or whatever. Well, nobody had this problem with covers. They soaked stamps off covers all the time. Or I cut mean, the corners off the and, cover. And nobody said, oh, my God, you're destroying the value. So, I mean, how many of these? I have a Texas cover, great Texas cover. It went from uh, Galveston to San Antonio with a U.S. number 10 on it. It's Rarity on a scale of 1 to 10 is 8. So that's a really rare item. I have one of those. I have none from California. So uh, it's, it could very well be 2% of 2%. Well, anything else? The Los, uh, the St. Louis Stamp Show was a good show overall. It sounds like everybody here was happy with it. Yep. went and uh, my next show is Westpex at Westpex. the end of April and in well, June I think we'll all be there won't we uh, uh, me uh, I think yeah I think at least four out of the five of us will be there I think five yeah we'll see <laughs> why are everybody looking at me because you would be the outlier <laughs> <laughs> I'm always the outlier <laughs> we need to find out how you enjoyed lunch today um, I'll tell you after my nap. <laughs> <laughs> Don joined us for our stamp club meeting lunch. Stamp, yeah, stamp club. Stamp club. That's us. I had one of those rare not busy moments. I was able to make it. Excellent. Ah. Well, happy collecting, everyone. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. (laughs) Because you don't put that on the letter. Oh, well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Knox Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport.
We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkon was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! <laughs> Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.